Our first scripture this morning comes from Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. I put my whole hope in the Lord. He leaned down to me. He listened to my cry for help. He lifted me out of the pit of death, out of the mud and filth, and set my feet on solid rock. He steadied my legs. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise for our God. Many people will learn of this and be amazed. They will trust the Lord. Those who put their trust in the Lord, who pay no attention to the proud or to those who follow lies, are truly happy. You, Lord my God, you've done so many things. Your wonderful deeds and your plans for us, no one can compare with you. If I were to proclaim and talk about all of them, they would be too numerous to count. You don't relish sacrifices or offerings. You don't require entirely burned offerings or compensation offerings, but you have given me ears. So I said, here I come. I'm inscribed in the written scroll. I want to do your will, my God. Your instruction is deep within me. I've told the good news of your righteousness in the great assembly. I didn't hold anything back, as you well know, Lord. I didn't keep your righteousness only to myself. I declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I didn't hide your loyal love and trustworthiness from the great assembly. So now you, Lord, don't hold back any of your compassion from me. Let your loyal love and faithfulness always protect me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. We'll be reading from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, He who comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he may be known to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this one is God's Son. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. 
Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Home never really leaves you. It sort of tents your life. It stains your feet. It leaves tracks everywhere you walk. Home for me is Memphis, Tennessee. I was born and raised there in what Paul Simon calls the cradle of the Civil War, in the city that killed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who I who all of us remember this weekend on the occasion of his birthday. An event like that, an assassination like that, changes a city. Not always for the better. It colors the city. It flavors the water. I wish I could tell you that because of that event, Memphis has solved its racial problems. The truth is more complicated. This week, as we remember the 91st anniversary of Dr. King's birth, 52 years after his assassination, as we remember his life and his work, all is not well. White nationalism is on the rise. Racism continues to be a problem. Wealth inequality among communities of color persists, not just in Memphis, but across the country. As a child in Memphis, I regularly visited the National Civil Rights Museum. That is the museum which used to be known as the Lorraine Motel. Maybe you've been there. It was one of the few black-owned motels in the city where people of color could safely stay. And then on April 4th, 1968, Dr. King was staying in that hotel, preparing for a meeting that night, and he turned to a musician staying with him and said, Ben, make sure you play Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in the meeting tonight. Play it real pretty. And he walked out on the balcony And a shot rang out in the Memphis sky, and Dr. King was killed. Ambassador Andrew Young, who preached from this pulpit just a couple of years ago, was standing mere feet from Martin Luther King. And they've since turned that motel into a museum, celebrating Dr. King and remembering the history of the civil rights movement. You wander through that hotel past a burned out bus and a lunch counter exhibit and you end in the room that he exited onto the balcony. It's a worthy place to visit. A place of history. A place of pilgrimage. And yet while my hometown still colors how it is that I understand the world. While it is still important to me, I just need to be honest with you for a minute. There is an extent 
to which when I visit a place like the National Civil Rights Museum, that I leave it feeling totally inadequate. Don't get me wrong, you should visit, just as you should visit the National Civil and Human Rights Center here in Atlanta, just like you should go to Montgomery to visit the lynching memorial there to be reminded of where we've been, to teach your children and grandchildren where we have been, to learn what still needs to be done. But when you see such a problem, when you see such a movement laid out like that, if you are like me, you think to yourself, these problems are just too big. They are too complex for me to tackle. The people who deal with them, who tackle them, are too strong. I am not enough. I think about this a lot in the church. It's no accident that the civil rights movement had its genesis in the church that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was actually the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was a preacher, a church leader, and even as a preacher and a church leader, and most of all as a Christian, I have to tell you, most days I just don't feel up to the challenges in the world. I don't think I'm alone in this. Do you always feel up to the task? With all that's going, in the wor- going on in the world, do you always feel like you are poised to take it on? Do you think you could lead that kind of movement? I mean, let's just assume something crazy for just a minute, that there are still big problems left in the world, that all is not well. And if we make that assumption, having been made in the image of God, each of us, being God's child, what is keeping us from dealing with those problems, I wonder? The guilt isn't the point. I'm guilty too. It's just that it all seems so big, too much. Or like we're being covered up by the intricacies of our own lives, our own families. We're too busy, too busy to deal with the stuff that is out there. I feel inadequate at times. And then I come to Scripture. I start reading the Bible, which has a way of messing with my own comfort level. I open to a scripture like the psalm that we read this morning, and I remember just why it is, not only how, but why it is that we are called out of ourselves, out of our own little bubbles. The psalmist writes, I put all my hope in the Lord because he leaned down to me, because he listened to my cry for help. Because he lifted me out of the pit of death, out of the mud and the filth, and set my feet on solid rock, because he steadied my legs, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise for God. Many people will learn of this and be amazed. They will trust in the Lord. Those who put their trust in the Lord, who pay no attention to the proud or those who follow lies, are truly happy. You. Lord my God, you have done so many things, your wonderful deeds and your plans for us, no one can compare with you. If I were to proclaim and talk about all of them, they would be too numerous to count. 
For as much as I would like to argue with whoever wrote this psalm, for as much as I would like to be able to say, but it's just too much, I guess the psalmist has a fair point. I mean, God has done pretty amazing things in my own life, in your life, in our life together. For as much as it sometimes seems as if the world is on fire, as I look back at my own life, I see the hand of God at work. In the people that I have encountered, in the inspiration that I have felt, in the mercy and in the grace. I mean, the psalmist literally says, you have done so many things. If I were to talk about all of them, they'd be too numerous to count. In other words, being overwhelmed is normal. It's normal. When God is involved, being overwhelmed is par for the course. It's how this stuff works. That's the nature of God. If we were to talk about all the things that God has done, we would be here all day. But the psalmist doesn't say, it's just too numerous to count, so I'll ignore it. No. The writer of this psalm says, God has been so good to me, I can't get to it all. But I'm going to name what I can. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to tell the good news of God in the assembly. I'm going to hold nothing back. Do what I can to share this good news. The goodness of God is overwhelming. The proper response is to share what you can. Now this is all well and good on a Sunday morning with beautiful music and a lovely space and wonderful people and a gracious spirit in the room, but it's harder when you're facing the tough stuff in your own life. For as much as we might say, just because you're overwhelmed by the goodness of God doesn't mean you should keep it to yourself, we sometimes are also inclined to face the overwhelming nature of the problems in the world and be rendered mute. But the command is the same. Being overwhelmed is not an excuse. It is a charge. Can I say that again? Being overwhelmed is not an excuse. It is a charge. you got to start someplace. As Dr. King famously said, our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about things that matter. I don't know about you, but I want to live abundantly, faithfully, I want to give back to God, as the psalmist says, for all of the good that God has done for me. And the way to do that is to answer one of life's most persistent questions, which is, what are you doing for others? I know it's overwhelming out there. And looking at figures like Dr. King or Mother Teresa... Or it figures in this morning's gospel lesson like John the Baptist and the disciples, Andrew and Peter, the first pope, for goodness sake. Looking at these heroes of the faith doesn't always help. I mean, I'm all for having heroes. I have heroes. 
But I worry sometimes when we hold these heroes up, when we say, why can't you be like Mother Teresa? Why can't you be like Martin Luther King? Why can't you be a prophet? I worry when we say that the church is often doing little but making you feel inadequate. I don't know about you, but this guy is no Mother Teresa. I am no Martin Luther King. It's overwhelming. But here's the good news. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be Martin Luther King. You don't have to be John the Baptist. I'm not even sure John the Baptist was John the Baptist as we understand him, as we sometimes hold him up and put him on the wall in the church. John the Baptist had one job. That was to point to Jesus. This is what he says. He who comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be made known to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified, he says, that this one is God's Son. John's job was to point. And so it was for Andrew who went to his brother Simon Peter and said, we have found the Messiah. And so it was that Andrew and Peter and the rest of the disciples spent the rest of their lives pointing to Jesus so that the next generation of disciples could point to Jesus. So that the next generation of disciples could point to Jesus. Those generations continue unbroken so that the latest generation of the disciples pointing to Jesus are sitting in these pews this morning. To the extent that God requires greatness from you, it will not come because you decide to be great. Those who decide to be great almost always end up tripping over the hem of their own egos. If God requires greatness from you, it will not come either because you were born to be great. Just this last week, I came across an image of the transcript of Martin Luther King's time in seminary. And it made me feel a lot better about my transcript from seminary. I want you to know that guy got a C plus in public speaking. If God requires greatness from you, it will not come because you decide to be great or because you were born to be great. If God requires greatness from you, it will come through your willingness to acknowledge the goodness of God in your own life and your willingness to thank God accordingly, to give back accordingly, to stand up for what is right, accordingly, when it's easy and when it's hard, in the good times and in the bad times, pointing at God. Greatness will find you. So I wonder, how can you point to the goodness of God in your own life? 
Words matter. So do actions. How can you honor the God who calls us to truthfulness, to faithfulness, to justice? Speaking of the ways that you've experienced the goodness of God is vital, but acting as if you truly believe it matters too. Behaving as if we actually mean it when we pray each Sunday, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That matters too. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about how to best do this. How to live your faith as if you actually believe it, so that the, the, so that the moments of heaven can break through on earth, so that people who desperately need an expression of God's love can receive it, so that greatness can find you. At the end of the day, home never really leaves you. It tents your life, it stains your feet so that it leaves tracks everywhere you walk. Your job is to remember, to remember that no matter how overwhelmed you might feel, your ultimate home is in the kingdom of heaven. Your job is to point to Jesus and to leave tracks along the way. May it be so. Amen.